Howdy. I'm your host, Frank Lipinski, and this is The Primary Source. Here, I connect you with seasoned professionals from a variety of fields. In sharing their stories, I hope to help you on your path to career success. If you're not an engineer, I'm guessing you're not familiar with the term computer-aided design, or CAD. Developed in the 1960s, it's a 3D modeling and analysis tool that has gone on to revolutionize nearly every industry, ranging from electric vehicles to prosthetics. My guest tonight is a pioneer in the field. One of the top 100 CEO STEM leaders, Al Bunshaft is the Senior Vice President of Global Affairs and Academia for the Americas at Dassault Systems and President of Dassault Systems U.S. Foundation. With years of experience in the technical software side of things, Al brings a key perspective to the changes innovation has in our world. If you're an engineer looking to learn more about the newest technologies, trying to get a better grasp of where the world is headed, or just interested in learning something new, tonight's episode is for you. So Al, your career initially started in computer science and computer systems. Can you explain a little bit more about what each is and how you became interested in the field? Sure, I'd be happy to, Frank. And uh, first, thanks for inviting me to chat with you today. I really appreciate it. Um, when I went to university um, as a 17-year-old, all I knew was that I was interested in science and kind of good at math and enjoyed doing it. I always had that leaning, but I didn't really know what I wanted to study. Um, in fact, I shied away from going to engineering school. I applied and was accepted um, because I wasn't sure I wanted to be an engineer, and engineering schools are very uh, structured curriculums with not a lot of options and electives. So I went to a more general university, went through many majors, um, Seems like I changed each semester, <clears throat> always around math and science. And in my third year, um, and I'm dating myself, but this was in the math department. There wasn't yet a computer science department. It was formed like the year I graduated. Um, I took a computing course, and I found that I kind of had a knack, but in fact, I was fascinated by programming. Um, and so I took a liking to um, computer science through that. Uh, I got an excellent background in computer science. Computer science is the theoretical study of computer systems. Of course, there's more practical aspects like programming, but we learned all about the organization of a computer, how one might build one, what the trade-offs are, uh, what languages are and how they work, and what's everything between a language and the hardware that runs a computer, operating systems, compilers. We learned all these things. Um, and at the end of four years, I was convinced that maybe I should have studied engineering. <laughs> so I decided to apply to engineering schools. I ended up going to uh, Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute for my graduate school, and it was there I studied computer systems engineering. Um, the the, the one-liner I used to say as an undergraduate is, now I want to learn what's going on inside this box, this mysterious box that I use in my computing classes, and so that's why I wanted to get into the engineering side of it, the system side of it, to understand the physical operation of computers, um, and frankly, I was very, very lucky that my um, graduate research assistantship, my financial sponsorship in graduate school was through a center which focused on interactive computer graphics, and, and that kind of got me into or introduced me to computer graphics, which I had no exposure to before graduate school. But um, I, I found my way into computer science through curiosity, I would say. 
Um, and uh, the rest is history, as they say, because I've been lucky enough uh, that this has been an ever-growing and expanding field um, since long before I got involved. And um, and and I and it's continuously been incredibly fascinating. Now, your career's focus has been closely involved with 3D visualization and computer graphics. How has that shaped your career as you moved from research all the way to the so systems? Yeah, um, it has very much so. So, you know, as I mentioned, I, I, I feel very fortunate looking back that um, in graduate school I was, quote, put into this National Science Foundation University Industry Cooperative Research Center, which was called the Center for Interactive Computer Graphics. And this was the very earliest days of 3D interactive computer graphics Um we're talking 1980 to 84 that I worked in this lab. And um, we were literally building the first um, dedicated, uh, some of the first dedicated full-color hardware 3D graphic subsystems. These were kind of sidecar configurations that you could attach to an existing computer and do some very advanced visualization um, what, again, I realized looking back is that computer science and specifically computer graphics and visualization for me became an avenue into the widest range of science and innovation and technology really in the world. Because I like to say looking back that I've spent my career and now I work for a company uh, that builds tools for scientists and engineers, just like um, snap-on tools builds tools for mechanics that work on cars and without the right uh, wrenches and ratchet sets and uh, power tools that um, they would be severely crippled to do their job in the modern world. Uh, we provide tools that scientists and engineers use to do their job. And although you could do it without these advanced software tools, you, w- you would be severely hampered in your ability to get your work done if you tried that today. Um, and what this has done for me has gotten me involved with the widest range of industries that you could possibly imagine. On the one hand, uh, in the 1990s, I worked with Chrysler, who was developing the first all-digital end-to-end automobile. Uh, they said that they, in the end, didn't build a prototype. They built a verification model skipping all the prototypes and doing everything digitally. And in that same time period, rough time period, I was working with Disney Feature Animation, who was working on the film The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, and just kind of gives you the two ends of the spectrum. I worked with mathematicians plotting solutions to differential equations, um, and, and on and on. And so um, going back to the beginning where I said when I showed up at college, my interest was math and science. For a kid who grew up with um, his father's subscription to Scientific American always sitting on the table in the room where we watched TV and I would thumb through it and look at the fascinating things, most of which I didn't understand, but it whet my interest, um, this field has allowed me to continue to um, tap into and be aware of some of the most interesting, I think, most interesting things happening in our world today. That's amazing. It's really cool to hear that you've been able to see this technology grow from like just really being more of a theoretical side, kind of just being coded to seeing it be applied to industries ranging from film to like automotive. 
And you, you clearly have a very good idea of where the technology is headed and what the technology has been go- going through and where it's, where it's going, you know. And I wanted to ask, like, what would you recommend? Like, what are some of the key technologies in this field today that you recommend modern students and professionals learn to be prepared to go into industry? Yeah, that's a very important question, I think. Um, but on the other hand, none of us can know today what will be the most important technologies to know and understand even a short period of time like five or ten years from now, I believe. What we can be sure is that technology will continue to um, accelerate and change. Um, the innovations that we can already see, understand, and touch that are under development are just extraordinary, and I'm happy to share just a couple examples as, as we go through this discussion. So I think the most important thing for young people, for anyone, young, old alike, in their career is to maintain that sense of uh, curiosity and interest in learning and to always have your radar up, to always have your um, eyes and ears open to what's happening in the field and in the world and in industries even beyond your own industries because innovation can come from anywhere. Um, and so I think the more important part of thinking about that question, which is a very important question, what do I need to know, is to commit yourself to the idea that you will need to be a continuous learner in your lifetime. I've seen incredible changes since we were building the first hardware and software subsystems in the 1980s. That knowledge um, gives me a little bit of a basis to understand what's happening in our world today, but by no means could I be relevant if I didn't learn continuously along the way. Um, so I think that's the very first most important point. Um, I'd say, Frank, the second thought that comes to mind for me is the notion of this digital transformation that's taking over every uh, area of our lives. Uh, the way we work, the way we carry out business, the way we interact, um, this uh, pandemic, which of course is a global uh, crisis for us in the world, is accelerating some of those changes, and we need to really keep a clear view as to what's coming um, and, and, and be focused on, on that uh, for the future. Now, that's a fantastic mindset to have for the future and just the, the like, even the relative, like, future of, um, where, where things are headed two years, two, three years out. But what about someone who's needs to know, like, some sort of technology to break into the field right now? That's a very relevant question. I, I, I think there are a few areas that are pretty well known now as being kind of at the top of the list as critical skills. And, and I'll comment on one or two of those. <clears throat> and let me tell you about one that I think we see very relevant in our our field that may or may not be obvious to your to your listeners. So first of all, in in across a wide range of field uh, fields, we're hearing a lot of discussion around data analytics, big data, so called, um, and artificial intelligence. 
And I do think that those are incredibly important technologies that will be growing in importance uh, in the future. So th those would be some very relevant skills related to computer science and computer systems that people who are students today uh, should seriously consider investing some of their knowledge in and some of their time to gain knowledge in. In our business, we're seeing increasingly complex systems that we are trying to build. These systems are a combination of um, onboard intelligence and uh, physical aspects of the systems. Now, you may think about something, depending on what your field is, you may jump to thinking about one specific thing. Uh, let me give you some examples of what I'm talking about. Um, So-called so cyber-physical systems merge the use of uh, a physical um, design of some kind. Let's talk about um, the Roomba robot that cleans your floors um, and some onboard intelligence so that the um, equipment can make some decisions on its own, right, uh, autonomous decision-making. As we get more complex, we start talking about robotics equipment. For example, uh, firefighters are now using robots to go into burning buildings uh, where they no longer have to risk their own lives. Um, these are e either remotely controlled or autonomous uh, robotics that are often referred to as systems of systems because it's a lot more than just a single computer system and a single physical device. Um, these uh, systems of systems are highly complex. Uh, another example would be a commercial aircraft, and there's some very notable example of failures of these highly complex systems in recent years. There's an aircraft manufacturer right now that's got some grounded aircraft because they're still working on the fix for that. But we can also talk about prosthetic devices. And um, if you want to see something incredible, look at the work of Professor Hugh Herr, H-E-R-R, -R, at the MIT Media Lab, He's building intelligent prosthetic devices that will link to our body's nervous system um, and, and integrate with the human body. These are other examples of systems of systems. And to go one step further, I was just last week or two weeks ago, uh, April 28th to be exact, uh, part of a convocation of the National Academy of Engineering, the subject being systems of systems, and we talked about these examples I just used, but we also talked about public health, which can be modeled using systems modeling technologies, the same systems modeling technologies that we use for other large complex systems. So for me, um, I want to throw one on your listeners that maybe they haven't heard people talking about enough yet, but I, I, I know will be a critical skill and a very valuable skill for the future. It's this so-called model-based systems engineering or systems of systems modeling. It's a highly complex area. Uh, it's a combination of mathematics and computer science. Um, it's a very specialized skill. So I just throw that out as one area, as an example of an area that we see tremendous shortage of expertise and the world of engineering and computer science coming together to focus on this. Right. You're involved with a lot of different people. You're able to see a lot of these different technologies kind of grow and develop. And that also kind of comes with what you've done in the past. You've been a VP and director at both IBM and Dassault. 
And now you're also the v- Senior VP of Global Affairs and Academia for Dassault. So I wanted to ask you, what is your day-to-day kind of like? Maybe talk about it pre-COVID as well as post-COVID. <laughs> yeah, the world has changed, hasn't it? Although a great to a great extent what I do hasn't changed as much as where I do it from post COVID. But but let's 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 wind the clock back a little bit. I mean I started off as a, a developer, right? I started off as an engineer computer scientist. When I joined IBM I was a programmer, leading a programming group, developing a three D graphics programming library for use by applications and eventually um moved up through the organization and was managing both hardware and software subsystems. I spent the first 15 years of my professional life doing product development and leading product development for IBM. If you're in a technical field, um, I strongly encourage you to get your hands and fingers dirty working technically before you try to jump into leadership and management. On the one hand, I, I was fortunate, I suppose, to be chosen pretty early in my career to start leading and managing. And so what happened for me is I, uh, at the time, IBM invested quite a bit in educating its management and its leadership, and I was able to both build my technical skills and my leadership skills uh, through those years. Over time, as you move up through an organization, if that's your interest uh, to lead larger and larger groups of people, uh, you can't help but get further and further from doing the detailed technical work. It doesn't mean that you don't understand it. That's not acceptable in my mind. But it does mean that you can no longer do it all any longer. And that's a trade-off we make as um, developers, engineers, doers. What I learned is that although I couldn't do it all any longer, through effective leadership, quote, I, and of course it was my organization, could get a lot more done by leading a larger organization. So that, that's the, the trade-off, I think, as you grow through your career. And some of us choose to go into management to lead larger um, teams, uh, doing bigger things, but some of us prefer to stay closer to the detailed technical work. So since I've joined Dassault Systems, I mean, I, I joined as the managing director running the company here in the Americas. I've been in, you know, senior management roles um, for the last 10 years here. I've done a number of different jobs. My day today is really um, revolves around a few basic areas. First of all, I lead an organization here internally in the company. I have a number of managers that report to me that are part of uh, running that organization, which we call academia and education. It has to do with supporting all of the schools, colleges, and universities we work with. We work with uh, high schools doing first robotics competitions. We work with community and technical schools doing technical training. We work with colleges and universities around the world. And I lead a team that works with those various organizations. We have business objectives, and so... I need to be meeting with them, reviewing our plans, assessing where we are, uh, ensuring we're taking the right actions and or corrective actions if required, motivating the team, making sure they all understand what's our strategy, because we have, in the past years, uh, pivoted our strategy quite a bit as we continue, always continue to evolve. You can't, standing still is going backwards in a technology company, so we're constantly evolving and one of my jobs as a leader is to make sure that everyone everyone understands where 
where we're headed. The other part of my job and a large part of my job is externally facing as the senior executive and especially in the global affairs role, we're responsible for the external face of the organization. And so uh, this morning, actually, at 7.30, I was on a board meeting of the Massachusetts High Technology Council. The MHTC is an organization of companies uh, in New England who um, are organized to, for the better interest of industry and tech companies in the region. So we worry about the um, economic vitality of the New England region as a place for us to anchor our businesses. Deso System headquarters is there. Uh, we have about 1,200 employees in Massachusetts, so it's an important region for us. So I started my day on the Mass High Tech Council board meeting representing our company. We're talking about things like Massachusetts plan to reopen. Uh, does Deso System want to be part of a potential uh, PPE buying consortium among companies in the region. So that kind of thing. Um, gotcha. Last week I mentioned I was on a, uh, two weeks ago with the National Academy of Engineering talking about systems of systems in a global forum focused on that, um, technical subject. I'm in various types of external events. I was also, I spoke to a Brazilian group of engineering educators. Last week, and we spoke specifically about, it was an online conference, we spoke specifically about education, engineering education, after uh, the, the COVID pandemic, and how is it going to change, how does it need to change. So I, I spent a lot of my time externally as well, Frank, as well as internally. But at this stage of my career, it's um, primarily representing our company externally and then internally uh, leading businesses and organization and teams of individuals. As, as you've led these teams, I imagine you've seen a lot of amazing projects go through Dassault and go through these other companies that you've worked with. What would you say are some of your favorite projects you've worked on and the interesting problems you've had to tackle with these sorts of um, technologies and solutions you're working with? Wow. Yeah, that's decades of cool project, but I want to pick two, maybe three, and I'll just start with, honestly, the project that, to this day, I say the light came on in my career. It was like the, it was the realization that, wow, this can be incredible, um, what we're doing, and when I joined, when I left the university to go to graduate school, I think I implied it before, but let me say very clearly, I had no idea where I was going to take what I learned. I had no idea what to do with my undergraduate Bachelor of Science in Computer Science and Mathematics. I really didn't. I knew I got a good education, but I had no idea what to do with it. And it was by going to graduate school, getting put into this graduate research center we talked about earlier, um, yeah. and then being handed the first assignment, which was to complete a project that the center was paid for by United Technologies Corporation um, to develop a model of a, a tire rubber mixing blade, a rotor blade, that's mm-hmm. still used in the industry. It's called the Banbury Rotor. It's used for mixing tire rubber. Um, and we were building the first ever computer-aided design model of that blade and then the first ever digital manufacturing to cut the blade out of metal using a numerically controlled, computer-controlled cutting tool. Before that, they used to reproduce the blades the way you make a key. 
you put a blank one in a machine and you put the one you want to copy alongside of it and you have a guide that follows it and cuts a replica of it. Well, if you ever want to do any engineering changes or experiment with different designs, you can't do it that way. So we, I, I got sent to England as part of this project when I finished the programming work to teach the company how to use the software. And it was a transformative experience for them, but more so for me, I would say. I, um, I got to work with engineers who were generally more than double my age. I was probably 22 or three at the time, um, who frankly resented this young kid from the United States coming to England to tell them how to do their job. But in the end, we got to be friends. We would drink pints in the pub and eventually, uh, we cut a metal rotor blade there. Um, and it was one of the most rewarding experiences of my life to this day to see that happen and to see them adopt that software and literally change the way the company worked from at the time the 1800 technology to the late 1900s technology. Um, so that was an amazing and rewarding project and literally launched my career because it was um, so satisfying. Now let's jump to 2015. Our company, um, and you can just get a, you can just wrap your head around how far this modeling technology has come. Our company has been working with a global consortium, including the Food and Drug Administration of the United States, the Medical Device Industry Association, literally hundreds of research uh, cardiologists around the world, medical device companies. We have built the first ever, together, all of us, this consortium, we have built the first ever fully digital model of the human heart. A physical wow. model of the muscle tissue, and we don't have time to get into all the technology there. The, an electrical model, of course, our heart is stimulated by an electrical impulse, right? Mm -hmm. And a fluid dynamics model, because, of course, the heart is a pump, and it pumps fluid, blood. Right. Um, and this digital model of the human heart is now being used to evaluate and verify the effectiveness of implanted heart devices, also drugs, we're able to model the interaction of drugs with the tissues of the human heart. Uh, and last summer, the FDA extended our five, already five-year collaboration to build this model for another five years because they realized that these digital tools are the future of life sciences and healthcare as well. And so this business that I started in, which was, frankly, we used to say about, about planes, trains, and automobiles, big mechanical things, we're now using the same modeling and simulation software to model human beings as an example. That's and amazing. if any anyone is interested, they can just type in our company name and the Living Heart Project, and they can learn all they like about, about this project that's going on. So uh, it just gives you kind of two extremes um, in my career of uh, what I think are amazing uh, projects that I've been involved with. Those are both some really, really amazing experiences to have. One where you get to go like across the globe to Europe to be able to work with a team of engineers and learn how to create a product and now being able to use technology that's made normally for like other technology to, to model living human tissue. That, that's just an amazing experience and just amazing how far technology has come. Well, if and, I may, it, yeah. you know, you don't exactly take the same software you use for aircraft. So, you know, we have gone through a very um, 
precisely plotted course of acquisitions and technology development to allow us to move into these adjacent fields. Our company has, over the years, very methodically engineered its own evolution into new domains by understanding how what we have can be taken into that next domain, what the missing pieces might be, and how we would either develop or acquire those missing pieces. And so, um, yeah, it's been, and that's another fascinating part for you as a business major. Uh, That's another fascinating part of um, our company's history is this very methodical and strategic evolution that we've done and continue to do uh, through the years. Right. And actually, just, just to kind of tie a little bit of a metaphor through that, you've, um, similar to the, to the company you've been with, you've also kind of evolved and grown with it and had a lot of changes. What would you say are some of the, um, more, more personal aspects of yourself that have helped you kind of grow and be able to take on these new roles with increased confidence, increased success? You know, what would you say are these like personality traits or soft skills that you've had that have really propelled you through your career? You know, I've, realized over the years, and especially as I've focused more in these last 10 10 years on STEM education and motivating more young people to go into STEM fields, because as I said earlier, there'll be no part of our lives that isn't transformed by STEM technologies, um, isn't already or, or will be transformed. One thing I've learned is that, and I think I've learned especially with regards to myself, is, um, you learn a set of technical skills when you go to school, and those technical skills are essential, and they're especially essential for launching your career. Um, but a professor of design that I was working with uh, who taught a graduate course um, said to me one time, you know, the the hard skills that I teach in my class help my students who get a master's degree in design, you know, get their first job as they leave school here. But it's the soft skills that help them get every subsequent job after that. And I thought that was a really, not that it doesn't help with the first job as well, but I thought that was a really interesting observation because once you leave school, no one tells you what you need to know. No one um, holds your hand in your interactions with others. Um, you, you, whether you know it or not, you create that course and you set that course for yourself. And I really believe that there are certain characteristics that are incredibly powerful that people undervalue. So soft skills is an example of a term that I hate, but we all use it. I prefer to call them employability skills or maybe professional skills um, okay. because I, they sound less important than hard skills, but I think they're more important in the long run. And I think certain ones, because there's long lists of them, first of all, for me, and I think I've said it already to you, you asked about my own set of skills and what I think has been valuable. Curiosity is never ending for me. And and when I see something new, I want to learn about it. And I may not go deep. I don't have the time. And frankly, I end up not having the interest to go deep in probably most things I look at. But I love learning about new things. And I think showing an interest and a curiosity shows a kind of a hunger to move forward and to learn more. So it might be for a young person in a, in a, in a first job, it might be, how do I learn more about this company and what we do? How do I learn more about the other functions of the business so that I understand 
how what you're asking me to do fits in with the other pieces. So I, I think that's a really important skill that shows your willingness to, to accumulate understanding and then apply that into your job. And hand in hand with that, another one that I, I don't think it's mentioned enough is listening, being an active listener. And um, I saw something re- uh, recently that said something to the effect of most people listen in order to reply. And you want to listen in order to understand. And it's very different listening for understanding as opposed to listening all the while thinking about what's the point I want to make. So I think it, being an active, thoughtful listener is an undervalued skill that's often not discussed. And the third one I'll mention, because as, as we've gone forever on soft skills, is just communication skills. Um, the ability to speak clearly, to form a thought in a concise way such that you don't have to be an expert in the field to understand uh, what what the person is talking about. And, of course, written communications. And, and that whole world has turned upside down with social media. But I still believe that quality written communications is an essential skill. And I don't believe it's acceptable to use text language in an email, for example. So, you know, having those skills to be able to construct an appropriate written and verbal communication, whether it be through presentations, documentation, letters, emails, etc., is is very very important um, at, at any level of your career. Right, and just to kind of jump on that topic of really constructing the right communication and constructing kind of the right goal and um, endpoint for for what you're trying to create. I wanted to jump onto the um, the other really big thing that you do. You're also the president of the So Systems U.S. Foundation, which is the charitable arm of the So Systems U.S. President. Yes. And you've, you've done a lot with this organization and you've, I know you've mentioned to me that you've worked with it to help kind of respond to COVID-19. So I'd love to hear like how Dassault has been working to help respond to COVID-19, how you and your team have really been moving forward and really improving the lives of all the people on the earth right now with this whole situation going on. Well, thanks. I, I hope so. I hope the, the, the little bit we can do makes a real, a real impact. Yes, I run our, um, foundation here in the United States. We focus on supporting innovative projects uh, that use 3D digital software to advance the state of the art in education and or research. And when the pandemic hit, uh, we immediately said we would be willing to entertain any types of grant proposals that were aligned to our mission, but also um, related in some way to pandemic relief. And um, we've done a number of other things in the company as well, offering software for free to researchers who are working on anything related to the COVID uh, vaccine. Uh, we have an open community online for innovation. Um, so, yeah, it's wonderful to be able to help. We are talking uh, as an example um, of things we're doing through this work, uh, one example is we have uh, connected a series of fab labs and also hospitals in the United States uh, who are helping uh, the hospitals with PPE. As you know, as you've heard, especially early on, tremendous shortages of uh, masks, shields, personal protection. As an example, I have a daughter that works in a hospital in the New York City area 
They were lacking PPE. We were able to, from our headquarters in the Boston area, identify a fab lab in Brooklyn who mm-hmm. immediately signed up to send shields to the hospital. Within the few hours we made that happen, we heard from the hospital that they got their shipment of PPE. We pivoted and the um, fab lab sent their shields to another hospital in Brooklyn that was still in need. Um, so we're trying to help um, link people together who are doing good work um, and do what we can. The other thing we're trying, we're doing actively is helping to uh, sustain education throughout the United States, working with educators from the high school level, in community colleges, and at the university level. If they did not have the skills, helping them learn the skills to be able to use our software remotely uh, to facilitate distance and remote learning uh, while we're in this mode. So those are just a couple of examples of the kinds of things we're doing. And it, it really seems to me that, it, well, you and your team and so have really taken on this leadership position in STEM to help it become more accessible to people, as well as pushing it to be a very positive impact for humankind. And I really wanted to ask you, what do you see the impact of this so? Like, where do you see Dassault having its greatest impacts on the future of STEM? I hope that through our work, you know, one of the things I try to do, and I've touched on this theme, is convey to people that there is an essential basic understanding of the STEM field. So sometimes uh, one aspect of it is what we call digital fluency, which all young people should gain through our public education system. It should be viewed as, you know, reading, writing, and arithmetic, as they used to say, because it's going to be so essential for for our future. Um, I hope that what we can demonstrate through our work is just that. And uh, an example would be the Living Heart Project that we already talked about, truly transformative. Um, but another example is when you go to IKEA, uh, and you might um, use their little tool to lay out your new kitchen and figure out what cabinets you need and what combination of parts you need from their offerings. Uh, that's Dassault system software that you're using in IKEA to lay that kitchen out. So our software is, you know, reaching the consumer where it never did before. Uh, we're not a, a B2C company. This is done through you know, um, partners of ours who then uh, deliver it. You know, we, we don't ultimately deal today directly with with consumers, but our tools are being used in that way. And so uh, through our investments in STEM, uh, we hope to transform education in a way that these um, skills are a standard part of education. And at the same time, uh, we we want to develop more and more young people that study in the STEM fields because we will not achieve our business goals if all of our clients and ourselves don't have the access to talent in this country uh, that we know we all need in order to fuel the innovation that we see uh, in front of us, the opportunity that we see in front of us. So it, it's it's both an outreach to society, and frankly, it's because it's in our self-interest to do it uh, that we make these investments. From our conversation so far, it's very clear to me that both you and Deso have a clear love and support for self-education and educating people and educating yourselves and just curiosity as a whole. 
So I want to ask you, what are some of the resources you could recommend students and young professionals interested in a career related to technology and innovation? I think we all find the things that interest us kind of on our own. I, I, I personally always have a stack of books, um, whether they be ebooks or hardcover, you know, uh, physical books here. Yeah, I can really read. The COVID crisis has helped me knock a couple of those off. Um, they're all, they're, it's a combination of things that are personal interests, but also business kind of books. I also like to follow certain, uh, folks in the industry, uh, that either have a blog or, um, maybe have a website or have a point of view through maybe a continuous series of books. And I'll mention a few of them with the risk that I'm definitely going to um, forget one or two of them that I, uh, after we, our call here, I'm going to decide I should have mentioned. Um, but one of them I follow, for example, let me first talk about some technology-oriented kind of venture capitalists I like to follow. One of them is New York-based. His name is Fred Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, he's an entrepreneur, uh, venture, venture capitalist um, based in New York. Um, he was an early investor in Twitter. He's been a big proponent of cryptocurrencies. Um, I first learned about that from him probably 10 years ago. Oh, wow. um, another person I like to follow, and I and I appreciate his point of view, is Peter Diamandis. Uh, Peter uh, pretty recently wrote a book called Abundance. Mm-hmm. He uses to take the point of view that, in fact, technology is going to overrun the issues that challenge us, that technology will ultimately solve the decarbonization of our fuel supply chain. Uh, technology will um, cure disease in the long run and elongate human lifetimes. I mean, and so he is totally on the glasses half full side of <clears throat> where technology is going to take the world in the coming years. Mm-hmm. Um, very, very interesting. He was a backer uh, of the X Prizes, which were these prizes for going after big moonshot-type goals. Uh, so that's one. I recently read a book that's an interesting book. If you're interested in engineering, um, go pick up the book called Applied Minds, How Engineers Think. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's by a gentleman named Guru Madhavan, M-A-D-H-A-V-A-N is his last name. Short book, easy read. If you're not sure if engineering would be of interest to you, that'd be a great place to look. Um, so those are some of the things that come to mind. I'm active on Twitter. It can drive you crazy, but it also is a great place to just follow things going on, a range of people. You can't possibly see it all if you're busy with your business, but if you check back every now and then and just scan through it, there are lots of interesting things that I discover uh, there on social media. Uh, LinkedIn, of course, I'm um, relatively active on LinkedIn, and I, I watch things that go by there. I read the newspaper every day. I think all those things are important. I mean, uh, authors that touch on society and also technology, probably most famous one comes to mind, Malcolm Gladwell, right? He talks about human beings, but he often intersects technology topics. Yeah. Um, I think you need to be well-rounded also, so I wouldn't encourage an engineer only read engineering texts. Um, so that, that's another thing I would say. So that, that's some things that come to mind, Frank. I hope that's helpful. Now, after going over all those wonderful resources, I have one final question for you, Al. What would you define as personal success for yourself? Thank you. Um, 
Well, of course, I want to accomplish, you know, our business goals, but I've made a, a personal decision to move into this role that I have today in the company around academia, education, leading the foundation, because I believe that education is so fundamentally important to the future of our country. And I'm worried. I'm worried that um, the educational system we've created is over time going to leave behind students coming from lower income school districts. As mm-hmm. uh, probably most of your listeners know, um, education is funded from local taxes and local taxes are directly related to the economic well-being of the community. And I think we have to figure out how to break that um, so that we give opportunity to every young person in our country. Um, it will make the country a better place for my children, um, your children, and your listeners as we go forward here. And so that's my hope, is that we can make an impact on improving the educational system in the United States through the efforts of our company and the various organizations that I'm connected with. That's a wonderful goal. And I, I think that Dassault, you... Um, and I think that you and so with everything that you've done so far, I think it sets a precedent for that goal being attained and surpassed. And I just want to say thank you so much for being on the show today, Al. I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me and share some of your knowledge about technology, innovation, people, just everything that you've seen throughout your career. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. To all you listeners out there, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to check out Dassault Systems or anything we discussed in the episode, everything is linked down in the description. Additionally, if you like this episode and want to learn more, we have a whole list of episodes at https colon slash slash anchor.fm slash frank l8. That's where you can find previous records of all of our other episodes where we talk with people such as world-renowned scientists, Wall Street veterans, Silicon Valley founders, and tons of others. If Anchor isn't your platform of choice, by going to Anchor, You can also find us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and a plethora of other places. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back again next month with a new episode. Have a wonderful night, everybody.